Tonight I want to start with the word baptize. I want to teach you something about the word baptize. When you open up your Bible and read the English words, all those English words are translation from Greek, if you're reading your New Testament, until you come to the word baptize. Baptize is a Greek word that they did not translate into English. Because if they did, you'll see in a minute what the translation would have been, but they didn't translate it. There's an interesting story as to why they did not translate baptize, but we don't have time for it tonight. But I'll just tell you, somebody would have died if they translated it what it means. Oh. So, the Greek word baptize became a word in the English language in 1611. What happened in 1611? The King James Version of the Bible was translated. That's the day in that translation that baptizo, the Greek word, became an English word with each Greek letter just being transliterated into an English letter. Baptizo became baptize, to baptize. Interesting. What does it mean? To baptize means to dip. To dip something into something. To immerse it. To place something into a new relationship or a union with something else so as to change the identity of that first thing into the identity of the thing you dipped and immersed it and placed it into. That's the full understanding of baptize. So when a, a blacksmith might have been working with something, he, he would baptize it in the fire until the piece of metal got so hot it was malleable. When it's red hot, then he would bang on it and shape it into what he wanted. Then he would baptize it a second time into a barrel of water to cool it down and to seal it into that new identity. Come on. It was also used in the ancient days, in the first century. To, uh, it was the word used when you made colored cloth. So you would have this cotton fabric and you've weaved it and fashioned yourself a piece of cloth. And it's not a pretty bright white like we could buy today. And so they would often color it. And to color it, they do what we do today. You take the cloth and dip it, immerse it into a vat of dye, and you change it into the color of the dye. Then when you pull it out, the white cloth is the color of the dye. It's no longer white. You've changed its identity in a way. You've changed how it presents itself. You have dipped it and immersed it into something to change it forever. That's what baptize means. So, the word comes in prominence. Now, understand, that's not what happens over there in the baptistry on those few Sunday mornings. That's water baptism. And that's one of the sacraments of the church. <laughs> in the history of the church, we have a few sacraments. And really boring to talk about and study at school, but that's one of them, dunking you in water. We dip you, we immerse you, and in that we're capturing the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then everybody claps and we're all happy and we go eat. So that's water baptism. There's another baptism that's even more important. In fact, it's a picture. That is a picture. Water baptism is a picture of this thing and it's spirit baptism. And it's in Romans chapter 6. My letters may be too small for you. I'm going to have to learn how to fix my slides here in the house for y'all to be able to see. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4 teaches that we have been immersed into Christ. And that's what they probably would have translated it in 1611. But they created the word baptized. But we have been baptized into Christ, into His death, into His burial, into His resurrection... So that, the application is, His past life has become my past life now. His past life, I have been baptized into His life, and now Christ's life is my life, and what happened to Him has happened to me in the Spirit. My Spirit is now one with Christ, and what happened to Him happened to me, since I'm a spirit being, it happened in my spirit which is me, because I'm a spirit being. So now we can walk in a new life, which is His life. This is the gospel. Christ gave His life for us, so He could give His life to us, so He could live His life, so He could live His life through us as us. Yes. You don't live for Him, technically. Why would God put His life in you and then ask you to imitate it? <laughs> oh, yeah. He put His life in you so He could live His life through you, but as you. In the world you live in. In the people you know. Okay. Everybody with me, I imagine? Now I'd like to draw a picture of it. <laughs> All right, let's see how this works. When we talk about God's life, God's life has no beginning and it has no end. He is eternal. He is uncaused. No one caused Him to come into being. No one gave birth to Him. He is uncaused. No beginning, no end. When we talk about God in God's life, that's what we're talking about, an eternal life. See, what we, what we do uh, in our youthfulness, when we get saved, we get born again, we tell our friends later, hey, I got eternal life. And someone says, oh, what does that mean? Well, it means I get to go to heaven when I die. Actually, it doesn't mean that quite. If you have eternal life, you have that blue line in you, you have God's life. Because that's the only kind of life He has. Eternal life. So if you reached in there and you could pull out the eternal life, there'd be God just smiling at you. And saying, yeah, you and I are one with each other. You have my life. Huh. So, when we talk about God's life, we're talking about an eternal life with no beginning, no end. That green line there says, Adam's race. Yes. Can you read that? Sorry. Next, next time I speak, we'll have bigger letters. Adam's race 
which we were born into, we had a beginning, but we will have no end. Adam's race does not have the blue line life in it. Adam's race started with Adam, then Eve, then you know a tree came. And after that tree, everybody's as a spirit being, everybody was born with a spirit that was empty of God. You were born into this world on the green line and you do not have God's life in you. That's why eternal life, the blue line, is a gift. You get it or you don't. Okay, so we are Adam's race. It's a race of sinners. If you do not have God's life in you, you are known as a sinner. Sad, it's a terrible thing, but you have no God's life in you. And the best thing God can say about you is that you are ungodly. And we're called that in Romans chapter 5. Ungodly. That means no God-likeness about me because I don't have God's life in me. So in, the gospel really is not so much about your sinfulness and how we got to fix all your sins so you'll quit doing them. The first impression on God's heart, as we understand it, is dead people need something. Life. Yes, dead people need life. You're spiritually dead. You need life. It'd be nice if you quit all those sins you're doing because everybody living around you would be much happier. But you need life. So the plan was that God the Son... would come to earth. And that right there is uh, the, where that blue line hits the green. We could say it's um, about the time the manger came. So the God the Son came to earth. The incarnation. He carnated Himself. He took on flesh and He came to earth. And he lived a righteous life. Then he died on the cross. Then a stone was rolled up to the, to the grave. On the third day, Christ came out of the grave. Cool, huh, Ryan? <laughs> How did that old man do that? That's really cool. Okay. Then, 40 days later, he went back to heaven where he sat down on a throne at the right hand of the Father who also has a throne. The way I understand it, there's two thrones. The Father's been sitting on one forever. He made a second one, and the Son has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and He sat down next to the Father. And so I have that where they're both facing out at us, so the right hand there is the Son's throne. Cool. However, you and I were born on the other side of all of this. We were born on the green line, and there's our big green head. And that's what I looked like. In high school, right there. I weighed 130 
eight when I graduated. But I could play a little basketball. We're born on the other side of all that business. And our spirit is empty of God's life. So salvation, your first sozo experience, there are two words for salvation, soter and sozo. Soter is really this that I'm describing right now. Soter is the born again, born again salvation. So to get born again, someone has to come. The Holy Spirit comes. And He takes your spirit. And He, what's our word for the night? And He baptizes you right into the life of Christ. At that point there. He doesn't baptize you in the eternal life of God. You don't get to be omnipotent and omniscient on earth. You share in the righteousness of Christ. You share in His crucifixion. So your spirit goes to the cross where it is crucified with Christ and you share in His righteousness. You share in His death. You share in His burial. You share in His resurrection. All of that life becomes your life when you accept Jesus Christ. Well, that's way beyond vacation Bible school understanding of, how, of what happened when I got saved, isn't it? I don't just get to go to heaven when I die. Salvation is not something that you get so much as salvation is that you become someone who did not even exist on planet earth because you're a spirit being. You're a spirit being. When you get born again, your spirit is baptized into the life of Christ and you become His righteousness, His death, His burial, His resurrection. You become completely reconstituted in your spirit who you are, which means you actually become a brand new someone who didn't even exist on planet Earth. Your body looks the same. Your hair is still the kind you don't like. You're still too tall. You're still too short. You're still too fat. You're still too skinny. Something has gone on. I mean, nothing changes about who you are, but in your spirit, you are totally, radically, forever changed. And so, we take on the co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected life in our spirit with Jesus Christ. And in your spirit, you're one with Him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, If you join yourself to Christ, you become one spirit with Him. And that's not all. This is what Galatians 2.20 means. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All right, back that up again. I have been crucified with Christ. Which life is that? The green life or the blue life? I have been crucified with Christ. That's who I was in Adam. 
And I no longer live. Who no longer lives? The one in Adam, the sinner. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I could never understand that verse. I'd study that. I'd look at that. I'd flip the page and figure I have no idea what that means until the day I realize there's a difference between your spirit and your soul. And we haven't mentioned your soul once tonight till just now. We're talking about spirit. Spirit. And spirit is who you are because you're a spirit being. Okay. So watch the green heart. Whoop. Becomes blue. Blue life is now your life. So right now we all still live on the green line. We are still on the green line sharing life with all the other greenies. But I have a new life in me. The blue life has become my life. And my identity is changed. And not only that, we go over to Ephesians chapter 2 and it gets even better. We are seated with Him in the heavenlies too. God also adds that. We get His righteousness, we get His death, we get His burial, we get His resurrection, and we share in His ascension. His ascension life is my life. So now look at the crown up there, watch. There I come. Now I sit on the throne with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come on up. And he scooted over, and I sat down on his throne with the Father over there. So when I sat down, I'm sharing Christ's resurrection and ascension, his ascension throne. And the Father's right there. I can pat him on the arm and say, thank you. Thank, thanks for welcoming me into your blue line life. Yeah, when I worship now, I've started doing this lately. You know, when we worship like this, we're imagining that we see Christ. I guess that's what people are doing, maybe. I started doing this. When I start worshiping, I just reach around and put my hand on Christ's neck up here. And I sing as if, thank you. Thanks. Look where I am. I'm with you. And I am still singing to you. I'm just not down on earth looking. I'm up here. And sometimes I wave at my friends while I'm singing. <laughs> if it, you know, if it's one of those lines like blah, 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 I think, yeah, you're up here too, but you're still down there because you don't understand Ephesians 2, 6. <laughs> come, come, sit up here. Stand up here. It is the place of authority. And you're now called a saint. Yeah. Did you know the New Testament never calls us? Sinners. What? Carter, now you're lying. I know it. No. <laughs> the New Testament never says that we are sinners. The phrase say, sinners saved by grace is not in the New Testament. Sinners saved by grace. That phrase is not in the New Testament. It's in the hymn book. It's in the old hymn book. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And it's got that peppy music that doesn't fit. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What? 
I should be saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But we sang it back then like we were all excited about it. <laughs> Let's get this meeting over with because I've got places to go. So, you're a saint, a saint. And you know what the Greek word that makes up the word saint? What, what word is it? A couple of you know. Agios, okay, that's another Greek word. <laughs> it's the Greek word agios, which is the Greek word for holy. You're a holy one. You're a holy one. And we're talking again about your behavior last Saturday night? No, we're talking about your spirit. Your spirit. You are holy and righteous because the blue line is holy, righteous life. And you have that life in you. This is, uh, so if I ask you again, what is eternal life? It's God's life. What is righteousness? God's life. Christ's life. Yeah. What is holiness? Christ's life. What is righteousness? Christ's life. Yeah. So, we have these theologies that like talk about personal holiness. You need to get up and start obeying God and building up your personal holiness. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't work up your own personal holiness. You've already received His holiness. You manifest it. You put it on display. You say, Holy Spirit, so fill me today that when I walk in this world, your life is put on display. That's the Christian life. You don't perform for Him. You manifest Him who's already there. Okay, saints, saints, stand up, put your arm around His neck, wave at your friends. This is your place. But this is also a place, if it's a throne, it's a place of authority. Isn't that right? If you sit down on a throne, you've got authority. From your throne, you make edicts, and in your country that you're ruling over, they must do it. If you're on a throne, you've got authority. Well, you're on a throne. Amen. You share it with Christ. And from there, you have authority. Amen. To receive Christ's identity is to receive your own death and burial. And your resurrection into newness of life because the new life in you is holy. And then you are ascended and exalted up to heaven and city, and you are seated on a throne with the King of Kings. So perhaps we are kings and queens. He's the King of Kings. Who are the other kings? We are. We are with the blue line life as our life. We reign in life. Romans five seventeen. Romans 5, 17. But the one who receives the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. So we're going to reign in life. What are we going to reign over? 
We're going to reign over your soul. We're going to reign over your story. We're going to reign over our emotions. We're going to reign over our thoughts. We're going to reign over lies we picked up. And when we deal with all that, we're going to end up reigning over demonic spirits in this world. Back in the 1970s and 60s, we had deliverance ministry, and we would cast out demons. And then you would go home, and three days later, the demon would show up again. We don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. It could get worse. We have to heal the soul. And when we do, demons will take flight without us even having to speak to them today. Uh, Ann and I have experienced this a lot at Pure Heart Weekends that I do. We chase off demons all the time that we never even knew were there and didn't care. Because we went into the stronghold and we blew it up with the presence of Christ. And that was his home. He had no more place to live. So demons take off and they go away. And if they come back, they won't find their own dwelling place because Christ has moved into the wound. So let's go to the next diagram. Oh, I left that out. Yes, there's difference between resurrection power and authority. The resurrection gives me the power. The ascension gives me the authority to use that power. Okay. Next slide. We are spirit beings. We have a soul. But we are spirit beings. We just carry around a soul. The soul is what makes all of us different. It makes it fun to be with each other. Because everybody's a little bit different. It's the soul that makes us the difference. If we all reached into our spirit right now and pulled the life out and held it together, everybody's life would look alike because it's all Christ's life. But it's your soul that makes you different and makes you fun and makes us like you or not like you or <laughs> fall in love with you or stay away from you. So in our spirit, we participate again in the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness is my life now. And I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And I have authority reigning in me. And in my spirit, I am a holy, righteous child of God seated in the heavenlies. All day long, 24-7, regardless of how I'm behaving. When I snap at my wife, uh, I betrayed my true self. Well, did you repent? <laughs> I didn't have to repent. I saw it. I know it. I realized I betrayed my true self. My true self is holiness and righteousness in Christ. Repenting's okay. You can do it. <laughs> Feel free to do it if you need to. But just understand, my sin doesn't change my identity. When I walk in sin, I simply betrayed my true self. And that's a disappointing thing. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that anymore. Out in our soul, bad things happen to us. And those things are holes, wounds, rejections. When you're growing up in life, a hole could be one of those... Uh, 
A hole in your soul is where you do not get what you should get. And so there's a deprivation. There's an emptiness. You've been neglected. You've been abandoned. Your parents divorced and one of your parents left the house. That leaves a hole inside of you. Or you're born into this world and your mother has postpartum depression and goes into the hospital for six weeks after you're born and you're home with a father and grandmother and bottles. And, and even then, psychologists are discovering kids know something's not right. What, what happened to that nice warm place I just spent the last nine months? And so it can leave a hole inside of you. When you're lying in bed at night and your parents are yelling and screaming in there in the kitchen and you're thinking, they're doing it again, they're doing it again, you start to feel so empty. So uh, you are, the house does not have love, nurture, goodness, kindness, affirmation. You're not getting those things that human beings need and so you could have a hole. So a hole is where you don't get what you should get. A wound is where you do get what you shouldn't get. You know, a wound is where you might get bopped, slapped, oops, knocked around. Trigger happy there with my finger. Stay with the wound. <laughs> but a wound is where you do get what you shouldn't get. Getting bopped, slapped, yanked by the hair, picked up by your hair. One guy at my retreat one time said, my dad got so angry at me as a seven-year-old. He just grabbed me by the hair and lifted me off the floor. And just the pain hurt. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, torture, breaking promises. All of that is getting wounded. We all have some holes. There's all, for all of us, some kind of emptiness where I didn't get filled up enough. We all definitely have wounds. And if they didn't happen at home, they happened when you turned five and you went to kindergarten and someone stole your cookies, stole your potato chips, pushed you down, cheated, cut in line in front of you. And from there on, it was just a madhouse race all through grade school and junior high. You're getting beat up, knocked down, slapped around, taken advantage of, lied to. Ooh, this past year, I had two different women, one here in Louisiana and one in Las Vegas. Both share the same story. In the fifth grade, their best friends betrayed them and wrote up a book. We hate Laurie book. And I said, really? You saw it? And I saw it. I said, did you see who signed it? My friends all signed it. Just this total betrayal. And it seems to happen just like that with a book for fifth grade girls. Well, then you get to high school and you think, oh, look, oh, there's the star basketball player. There's the star football player. Oh, he's looking at me. Oh, everything's going to be great now. I'm going to get him for a boyfriend and everything will be good in here. My holes and wounds will be healed until he breaks up with you. He cheats on you. She breaks up with you guys. And all of a sudden you've got this great big arrow in your side from a rejection. God, doesn't that describe all of our lives? Holes, wounds, and rejections. Everyone's had them in their lives. And as parents, we need to be aware when it happens so we can help children process through it, talk to God about it, pray through it. 
And um, if we don't, here's what happens. These events repeat themselves over and over and over and over and over and over. And when they're happening, here's what's happening in your soul. The walls of your soul are cracking. I call these fault lines. Because when you lie in bed at night after you've been rejected at school, and you're in the fourth grade, fifth grade, you lie in bed at night and think, what's wrong with me? Why am I so stupid? Why did I say that? Why don't they like me? And you lie in bed and you didn't tell your mother what happened. So you're lying in bed and you're telling yourself, I'm broken. I'm faulty. No one likes me. I don't do it right. I don't say it right. I don't dress right. And the walls of your soul begin to break and crack with fault lines where you think, I'm faulty. Something's wrong with me. Well, how do you like all that? Man, just love all that in your soul? Feels good in your soul? No, we hate it. And when I'm in the fourth and fifth grade, I was a Christian kid, but I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to work this stuff out. I didn't know how to get on my knees and say, God, they were making fun of me at school today for being skinny. What am I going to do? How are you going to heal this? I didn't know how to do that. So in junior high and high school, we find, oh, I let that out. <laughs> we have stories of pain, or you might have fables of fantasy. When I describe this broken, wounded person, there's a couple of guys who say, hey, Carter, that ain't me. That ain't me. I'm not all that shame-filled. I said, oh, so you just think you're one of those junior masters of the universe, I guess. Well, you know, I started on the football team. I know this one guy back in Fort Worth, Texas. Starting quarterback, all district. Starting guard, who guarded the best scorer on the other team to shut him down. Handsome and good-looking class favorite. And dated the cheerleader at the Crosstown Rival High School. <laughs> Stuck it to them, too. It's like, wow, Jim Carden, the last of the great junior masters of the universe. So if I described a shame life, he didn't have that. In fact, if you walked into his house, his house looked like a shrine to him. Trophies everywhere, articles, some in frames on the wall, but his great exploits on the field or somewhere <laughs> Most of us have a view of ourselves that's somewhere between foolish fantasy and sheer folly. One of the most important things that we can do in our Christian life is to have an intimacy with God where He tells me how He sees me. And He keeps it private so that I might work on the things that are keeping he and I from greater intimacy. <coughs> but our images of ourself, again, are somewhere between 
sheer folly and fabulous fantasy, <laughs> and we're none of it. Okay, so I can't live with this. I can't live with pain. I can't live with frustration. I can't live with getting, uh, not getting my needs met. So I find a crazy crooked way to go live. You know, drinking or doing drugs in high school or um, even playing sports. Uh, hiding out, hiding in some kind of behavior where I'm trying to comfort myself and get my needs met. So I have these crazy ways of living. And I have other broken ways I'm trying to live. And then some of it even becomes demonically inspired. So I saw that dragon. I thought, oh, I'll stick that on there. So to kind of represent demonic movement. So out of my soul now, I'm going to go try to find ways to live and cope with that pain. Okay? And the Bible calls these flesh patterns. These are flesh patterns. We all have sins we do here and there, but some of us have sins we're very devoted to. Sin patterns we are deeply devoted to. We like them. And we look over the drug addict and think, oh my goodness, look at you. What a mess. You do those, you pop those pills every day. When are you going to clean your life up? But we are over here being judgmental and critical every day. We're devoted to it like a drug addict is to drugs. And we got these flesh patterns we walk in and we've developed them from what's happening in the soul. So here's an important statement. Today's stronghold patterns of behavior that you hate, today's stubborn strongholds come from yesterday's unhealed wounds. Not all of your sins come from yesterday's wounds, but stubborn stronghold sin patterns, ways of thinking strongholds, and ways of behaving flesh patterns that you can't break, they come from yesterday's unhealed wounds. That's why we do sozos. Sozos, this Greek word again, is about saving you from yourself. In the other picture we had up there a minute ago, Christ saves you from your sins. He spends the rest of your life saving you from yourself. Well, what's wrong with me? I don't know. You're arrogant. You're broken. You're, you're a hothead. You're needy and clingy. You're a people pleaser. You've got these broken ways of living because you're trying to comfort your heart when what would be better is to do some sozo work and bring salvation from your spirit out into your soul. A sozo is taking the love and the righteousness of Christ in Himself out into your soul and healing holes, wounds, and rejections and fault lines. That's what a sozo is, and you may need one. Okay, you probably need one. I, tonight, we probably don't have time for sozos, although a couple of us maybe could do some sozo work. If you want to do some sozo work, get your story. Get your story, boil it down to a paragraph, and come up and see me. Well, the prayer team will be up here in a little bit. But if you've got a story you want to heal, 
come see me. But I'm telling you, boil it down. Don't, I don't have time to hear about your neighbors and your father-in-law and how long your grandfather lived and when he moved here from California. Look, get your story of where you got wounded and bring it up here. And we can do a sozo tonight with two or three of you. But the rest of you, we're going to do something else. Tonight, we're going to step into our authority. And we're going to use our voice. Because authority from the throne is voice activated. Yeah, you got to use your voice. If a king wants to raise taxes in his kingdom, he doesn't just think about it. And then do a pantomime with his king, his uh, servants to act out, you know, more taxes. He uses his voice and says, I declare now we're going to raise taxes one penny. He uses his voice from the throne. You must use your voice to exercise authority. Is voice activated. Yeah, thanks to Beth Baldwin for that, that line. Would you like to do that? You're ready to take some authority tonight? Anne is going to come up, and she's going to lead us. Microphone. She's going to lead us in some exercises of taking authority over some of the woundings in our life. So the scripture that I thought would be appropriate would be 1 John 1, 9. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's three steps. There's the confession with our mouth. There's forgiveness. There always needs to be forgiveness. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive others for the pain that they've caused us. And then there's the cleansing. So I believe one of the biggest lies the enemy tells us is you're all alone. You're the only one. No one else suffers from this. And so we're afraid sometimes to even confess what we're feeling or what we're dealing with because we're afraid others may judge us by that. And so it keeps us bound up. A lot of times I'll have clients and they'll say, um, and I'm getting ready to tell you something. I don't, I don't know if I've never, you know, confessed this. I don't know if you've ever heard this. And on this side of it, before you're healed, it seems so shameful. But on the healed side of it, it's your story. And so the enemy wants to keep you shamed to where you won't talk about your story and what you're believing the lies that you're believing or the behavior that you have or whatever it is you need to deal with. And the reality is we all need this type of healing. There's not one person that hasn't been, doesn't have holes, rejections, and wounds. There's not one. I don't care if you came from the most perfect family. I don't even know of a perfect family. But we still have wounds, and we're still in pain, and we still have wrong thinking. And the enemy just makes sure of it when we're young because we don't know how to think right and we're vulnerable and we don't know how to fight even, at, even as adults a lot of the times. 
So, one of the things also that the Lord, I like to do before we, what we're going to do is we're going to do some prayer work. Is that okay with y'all? Okay. Maybe while Carter was speaking, there's some things that Holy Spirit brought up to you. You might be able to work through them during this time. So keep them close. If the Lord has spoken something to you, if it's a belief, if it's a pain, maybe you can deal with it during this prayer time. Um, um, Pastor Marvin and Carter both mentioned picturing Jesus. One of the most valuable things we do is help people to see Jesus because it brings him in close and it makes him real and we have an imagination and it's something it's a gift that God's given us and it's something the enemy's been trying to steal why do you think video games TV everything steals your imagination when we were young there's some older people in here we played in the dirt <laughs> and you, I, we used to build houses out of um, at my elementary school, we used to build houses out of pine straw and make the rooms. And we spent hours in imagination. Well, that, if you will give God your imagination, he'll come in and anoint it. He just will. You're not going to make a mistake. And so if you have trouble seeing, it's probably because God feels distant. It feels like he won't show up for you. It could be a father that never showed up for you. So don't panic. There's just some things in the way that need to be moved out of the way. We just dealt with this this week with a person. And instantly, when we uncovered what it was, she could hear and she could see. And I believe it, all of us can see. All of us. And so, because we all have an imagination. And it's a gift that God's given us. So, don't be afraid of that. There's a scripture, and it says, let us come. And this is Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us come, therefore... Let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace. So imagine a throne room of grace. Can you imagine that? I always picture myself running in to the Lord because I'm covered in his blood. He doesn't see my sin, and he just wants to heal me. So I always picture myself going to the throne room of grace, and either God's there or Jesus or Holy Spirit, whoever I need at the time. So he's there. We get to come in boldly, it says, as believers. So that's not something we have to fear. And it says, we, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So another thing is I like to do is, we're, if y'all would like, I think it's important that we say a prayer of surrender before we start this. The Lord wants us to confess out of our mouths, I give you permission and I call it a lot of times to go into the attic of my heart and pull out those things that I've stuffed away and hidden in the darkness. Have you ever had that feeling it rises up and it makes you nervous and you can feel it rising up and you go whoop and you push it down because it's so familiar but you don't know how to deal with it. And it's so familiar a lot of times we don't even know that we need to deal with it because it's just part of who we are and the way that we think. Those are the things that he wants to go into your attic, and he wants to pull out, and he wants to deal with, and he wants to pull it out and look at it, not to shame you, but to heal you. But sometimes we feel so shamed, like, oh, how can we even face it? But every time I've had somebody fear it, you see how merciful God is. And it's not shameful at all because he's so good, and he's so loving.
And it's part of the reason he died. So we could deal with all this stuff because all of us have it. <laughs> that should bring freedom right there. Okay, we're all a mess. Now let's just get our mess fixed. Okay? So, okay. So are y'all ready to pray a prayer of surrender to start? Okay, so let me tell you what we're going to use. I don't have the prayer, the surrender prayer because I thought of it after Carter and I put this together. We will be working off of this page, and we will be praying prayers that are in these boxes. And we're also going to look at the examples. I'm going to explain things as we go. But the first thing I want to do is just pray a simple prayer of surrender. Is that fine with y'all? Okay. Y'all just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you permission to go into the attic of my heart and pull out anything you desire. I want to be made whole. I ask you to come. Heal me of my wounds in my soul, in my mind, and in my emotions, and in my will. I give you permission, Lord, and I trust you. Okay. So the first prayer we're going to work through is generational sins and curses. There are just certain things we took on in the bloodline. And there's behaviors that have been passed down. If you look back, you can see sickness and diseases running through generational lines. You can see behaviors. You can see divisions. I mean, the list goes, you can see addictions. You can see um, sicknesses run through generational lines. And so we have some on the side a few that are passed down, fear, rejection, this is just a few. Rebellion, controlling spirit, addictions, unforgiveness and bitterness, self-hatred. That's huge. Some of us self-hate, and we don't even know it. You know what I ask people all the time? I said, I always tell them, I say, how do you talk to yourself? And they're like, what do you mean, how do I talk to myself? Do you, are you nice to yourself? And a lot of people say, no. And I'll say, would you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself? And they're like, no. No. And I said, start being nice to yourself. Forgive yourself. That's the, one of the first places we should start, is self-hatred. Because we are so hard on ourselves. We never talk to others usually the way we talk to, about, to ourselves and about ourselves. And self-rejection. I'm sorry I got off on that. It's just a good one to explain because it's a big one. So let's work through this prayer. I'll just read, and y'all can repeat after me. You can fill in the blank with any sin that fits in that box for you. Generational sins are, there's a long list of them. 
It's whatever runs in your family. So this is a good place to start. What we're doing is getting y'all started in some things. Okay. I hear and now renounce and disown all of my sins of my ancestors, including my parents and all the ways I have participated in the sin of you fill in the blank. I renounce any anger or resentment against you, God, for allowing this to happen in my life. I forgive and release my ancestors for passing this sin on. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I receive it. I forgive myself for participating in this sin. I place the cross of Christ between my ancestors and me. I command these family sins to be halted at the cross of Jesus Christ. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to release into my heart freedom through the resurrection of Christ. Okay. The next one is soul ties. These are huge. On the side of this little box is a definition of a soul tie. I'm going to explain it after because it's kind of hard for me to even take it all in. The spiritual reality, this is the definition of a soul tie. It's the spiritual reality that certain actions have connected and bonded you to another person in a destructive way so that it's this person continues to have ungodly controlling influence over your life, a bonding to this person even if they are no longer in your life. It's kind of like what Pastor Marvin talked about. It was one of his best friends, and so he remembered. We get tied into friends. We get tied in emotionally. We get tied in mentally. We get tied sexual. There's always a soul tie with sexual. Any kind of violation, you're tied in in the soul. The mental... Someone's controlling you, manipulating you, pulling on you in ways they shouldn't. And then there's the emotional. Do you have a friend that kind of pulls on you and relies on things for you that you feel like you can't meet the need? Or do you do that to them? That's an emotional soul tie. When I first started doing this, I had a list of friends I needed to break soul ties with. Because we had grown up together, spent our whole life together. We had some, a lot of dysfunctional behavior. And we were involved in it together. <laughs> and they were still pulling on me as an adult. So these had to be broken. Best friends, if you've been, got best friends and you've grown up with somebody, you've got a soul tie. Siblings, parents, even spouses. Because there's dysfunction. There's pulls in the soul with your spouses even. So... Y'all ready?
I hear and now renounce and cancel my ungodly soul tie with fill in the blank. I cast it from my heart. I release any anger and any resentment against you, God, for allowing this in my life. I forgive, filling it with same person. For their involvement in my life, that created this bond and I forgive myself for joining myself to him or her with my own participation Lord Jesus sever and cut this ungodly soul tie from my heart and restore the empty and empty portions of my soul Remove anything that has come into me through this soul tie, Lord, and bring back anything godly that has been stolen from me. Remember, while we're praying, y'all, if you want to repeat after me, you're more than welcome to picture Jesus standing in front of you, sitting with you up here at the altar, in the throne room, however you choose to see him. I believe the Lord loves this process because it draws you in to conversation. It draws you in to know him. It draws you into intimacy. He already knows everything about us, but he wants to know us to know about us and us to know more about him. It's a way we can learn also God's ways. The Israelites, when they were in the desert, they only knew his acts because they made a choice. They said, Moses, we only want to talk to you. We don't want to talk to God. God wants us to know his ways. And so one of the ways, one of the ways that we can know more of God's ways is to deal with the way we think. The biggest battlefield, the battlefield is right here because the enemy's been defeated right? He's been defeated. So where's the battleground? It's in your mind. It's between your ears. So anything the enemy can get you to come into agreement with, it empowers it. So when we begin to break agreements with these things that we believe, our belief systems, then the enemy is rendered null and void. He has to, like Carter said, the stronghold's broken. He has to move out. There are some things, though, that are so deep-rooted in us. Holy Spirit has spoken to, like, four things to me this past year. I would not have known them because they were part of who I've always been. The Lord put his finger on some places, and I was like, I don't even know what it's attached to. I don't even know where to go with it. It's part of who I am. And I just kept presenting it before the Lord, and finally he breathed on it. And he said, Ann, this is where it's from. This is your belief about this. 
And there's just some things, unless Holy Spirit breathes on it, we don't know it. If you're triggered, you know, you have a response to something, think about what you're thinking about. Before you had, before you had a response, you had a thought. If you fly off the handle one day, you get angry, you get embarrassed, you get whatever. Triggered. We call them triggers. It's a good place. You go back and you say, oh, okay, what just triggered me? What was I thinking when that happened? And you got to work your way back. And then the Lord will go, oh, this, this brought up this feeling. This is what you were thinking. And this is attached way back here from your childhood. And so that's the best way to uncover what you're thinking. Does that make sense? Okay. We just wrote a few of these lies. The lies are endless. Here they are on the right side of the page. I hate myself. I'm unworthy. I'm unloved. I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment to God or to others. I can't be forgiven. I know of one off the top I'm hearing. I've messed up so bad. There's no going back. Or I've tried to change this so many times, God's ran out of grace. I tried to quit smoking so many times, I'd cut up my cigarettes, and I'd go put them in the trash can, and then I'd go dig them out of the trash can outside, tape them back together, and I thought, my grace has run out. God's got to be tired of me trying to quit. <laughs> and so I don't think I can even ask him to help me quit again. That's how I felt. That's not true. It says there's new, his mercies are new every morning. He's always ready. Okay, you want to try again? Let's do it. He never runs out. That's the beautiful thing. He never grows tired and weary. Although the enemy says, oh, he's tired and weary of you. You can't go back to him. That's a lie. Do you know 80% of what runs through our mind before we begin this process of healing are lies? That's a lot of untruth. That means we have a lot of thinking to change. The other one is, I will always be this way. You've heard people say, well, this is just the way I am. No. <laughs> That's just an excuse for not wanting to change. Because Jesus did it all. There's nothing he can't make new nothing okay y'all ready to pray you have to take your set of lies that you believe Holy Spirit has given to you during this time and throw that in there okay in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord I break the power of the lies that I have believed about myself and I cast them down from my ascended place in Christ. I confess and turn my mind away from believing these lies that the enemy and the world have told me 
And I want you to feel, lift up those lies that you feel like are your lies. Confess them before the Lord. I renounce any and every way that I have contributed to defiling my mind by speaking and repeating these false beliefs and hurtful lies about myself. I command these lies to no longer have any spiritual mental, emotional, and physical influence over me. So in this, what we do is when we've run some things off and come out of agreement with some things, we need to fill it up with something. It's truth. Who does God say that we are? Yes. There's a void in some places. And so we want to fill up those places with who he says we are and what he says about those things. A lot of times I'll just ask people, close your eyes and let Holy Spirit speak to you. A scripture, a word, something that he wants to put in place with this. So of all of these that I've read off this page, we're going to confess and use our authority as to who we are. Okay, remember where you're seated, what Carter just spoke about. Remember, you're forgiven. It's a finished work. We're just coming out of agreement with things here. So believe, use your authority and begin to believe what God says about you. That's powerful. Most of us just don't even begin to believe and re if you don't believe it at first, keep confessing it out loud. The spirit realm needs to hear it out loud. Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, we are not reading off this paper. We're just going to, these are just scripture. I'm sorry. I wasn't clear. <laughs> I'm, I'm just repeat after me. Okay. Thank you, Lord. That I am accepted. Use your authority, y'all. I am loved. I am redeemed. I am covered in the blood of Jesus. I am forgiven. I am worthy. I am a conqueror. And I'm special in his eyes. In your eyes, Lord. So let me just close this out in prayer. And then we're going to have a time of ministry. If you feel like the Lord has spoken something to you personally and you don't want to get out of your seat, we'll be more. We're going to have ministers up here. We're going to have people up here if y'all want to come. The Sozo team, if y'all want to come. You can stay in your seat if you'd like. Or there'll be people up here that will minister to you. If you stay in your seat, we'll be more than happy to come to your seat. Just raise your hand. 
try to keep it, you know, we can't go into, like Carter said, long, lengthy stories. We would strongly, um, for your benefit, say a sozo would benefit you. Just know it's not scary. It's not weird. None of that. It's amazing. And God is so gentle. And Jesus, you get to meet with Holy Spirit. You get to meet with Jesus. You get to meet with God the Father. It just shifts your whole paradigm. Just a few of them. And so, remember, it's like Pastor Marvin said, we're on a journey. And so, if you see something, somebody brings something up, don't be afraid to deal with it. Most of us spend a lifetime just trying to hold it down. And as we get older, it just gets worse. It just does. And so the sooner we can deal with our stuff, and don't let the enemy tell you, well, you've been saved for 25 years. You should be past all this. That's a lie. That's such a lie. Or you're in this position. You should be past all this. You can't go tell anybody that personal thing, that sin. You can't go share that. Look who you are. That's another lie. We've got to learn to discern the enemy when he's trying to keep us bound up. What was I going to do? Oh. We're going to pray. Did you want me to say something about Sozo? Okay. There is a sheet, I think with a number on it. Sign up on, on email, website. Okay. Okay. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what was done here tonight. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you continue to do a work, Father, that we just don't stop here. Our heart cry is to know you more. And as we remove what we believe about you, and we get to know more who you are through this process as we deal with our pain because we see you through our grid of pain, Lord. And so we just say we're excited, Lord. Do a work in us. We don't want to stay in this place that we're at and never deal with our stuff. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for grace. I thank you for mercy. I thank you for your peace, Lord that surrounds us, Father. And I thank you for all that you died for and everything that your blood bought and paid for. And Lord, we want to access that place. We want everything that you did for us on the cross, Lord. We want it all. Just confess out of your mouth, I want it all. In Jesus' name.